Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? All right. Well, we are so glad you are here with us. If you are new, thanks for joining. Thanks for coming. Thanks for worshiping with us. Um, My name is Simon. I am also one of the pastors here on staff. And we have been in the book of Acts. Uh, It is the early church. It's what God was doing through the Holy Spirit. We've actually titled this particular series, The House That Jesus Builds. And that's the name of the series that we're going through as we watch what took place after the gospel hit the lives of the men and women that, that Jesus had walked with for so long after he raised and gave us the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're doing. That's where we're at. As I was thinking about this, this sermon this week, and as, as Peter's going to give his, his first sermon for the church, it's, there's this moment in, in every Christian's life where there's a reality that hits of this is what the the sacrifice of Jesus cost. And what I mean by that is is you have to come to grips with more than just, oh, there's this childlike faith of Jesus loves me, God loves me, and he wants to be connected with me, which is true, which is right, and which is good. But to understand what got us there is actually really profound in, in the walk of every single Christian's life. That you have to realize that For you to have salvation, for you to be saved, that a man gave his life in your stead, that Jesus came to earth and he took the wrath, the punishment for how we lived our lives. And we'll see in this sermon as we get into it that Peter's going to call these guys murderers at two different times, but they weren't there and we weren't there, but yet we still have that connected to us, that you have to realize that This man was beaten. He was whipped. He was nailed to a cross. He was mocked. He was spit on. Not because he was wrong, but because he was right. It was because we were wrong and we were separated by sin. And the only way for us to be connected back to the Father, the God of the universe, was for him to lay down his life willingly so we could be with him. And I I believe that If you don't ever come to that realization about what it costs for you to have salvation, you will continually have a superficial faith, and it'll never really change the way you live, the way you think, the way you act, the way you engage the world. And I would say this, I talk to most Christians, it's that moment where they would say, that was the day I made my faith my own. Usually a lot of high schoolers, a lot of college students, that's when that connects. It's not just mom's faith. It's not just dad's faith. It's not grandma's faith. It's not grandpa's faith. This is when it was real for me because I realized in that moment that I have to take responsibility for Jesus dying on the cross. And you might be like, Simon, that was a very heavy intro. (laughs) Usually you tell a fun story and you're laughing and we're all enjoying life. But I just wanted us to realize that we are talking about the gospel. Today is all about the gospel. And, and I'll say this, it's offensive because you have to realize what part you take in it. And when someone says the reason that Jesus hung and died on the cross is because of your sins, that's offensive. No one wants to be told that they're the reason why this has happened. And so here's what I would ask. We're going to read a huge section of scripture. And normally I'll kind of just hit all the verses as we go along. I'm just not going to be able to do that. We're going through verses 13 through 41. 
It's Peter's big sermon, and we're going to read through it. I'm just going to kind of break it up into sections so we can understand what he's saying and what the gospel looks like as he's communicating to it. And then ultimately what I want to do is I want to land in some spots where it applies to who we are and how we take the message of Jesus forward. So there's something for those who have never heard the message, and there's something for those who have heard it a thousand times, all right? So we're going to start in verses 13 because we didn't get to that part last week, and we're going to go through 41. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It'll be on the screen, or you can just listen to my satiny voice. (laughs) But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is just what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, and he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you have not abandoned my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, for you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would see one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up And of that, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone. 
whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exalt them, uh, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that uh, this morning as we speak of you and what you've done, I humbly ask that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, that you would use me to communicate this gospel, that you would help me to bring clarity in a way that maybe people haven't heard before, that they would understand who you are and what you've done. That you would give us the power, Holy Spirit, to take this message forward to men and women who don't know you, who are far off, who are disconnected from you. Holy Spirit, just take anything that is not from you off my notes and my lips. Anything I need to say, let me say it this morning. I love you. We are grateful for the gospel. We're grateful for the death on the cross that we even have the ability to communicate with you today. We love you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Okay, that was a lot. Uh, that was the biggest chunk we'll be reading today. I'll just let you know up front. So the breakdown of Peter's message is not really complicated. There's three major parts to what he's doing. And so we'll talk about what's happening and what he's saying and the references that he's making. But the reality is there's three main parts. The first part is this, is that there is a need for a savior. He wants to point out to the people listening, there is a need for the savior. He, he immediately says, hey, hey, these people aren't drunk. It's 9 a.m., that's not what's going on. We know that you're hearing all these, uh, this message of God in your own languages that you shouldn't be hearing from these individuals. It may sound like chaos, but it's not. The reality is, is that they are doing exactly what the prophet Joel from the Old Testament said was going to happen. So verses 14 through 21 are in direct relation to Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. See, it's talking about the day of the Lord when God is going to pour out his spirit on his people. All people, as a matter of fact. Now, that may not make a lot of sense to us to where we are today, but the reality is this idea of the pouring out of the spirit on God's people was about an intimate relationship. It was about being connected to God. And we know from the garden all the way back in Genesis 3 that there was a separation from God, that we used to walk with God in the cool of day. We would talk with God. We had no fear of God. We enjoyed everything that God had for us. When sin entered the world, it fractured that. It destroyed that relationship. And ever since then, we have yearned to be back in relationship with the creator who's made us. And God realizes that we can't do that. So he prepared the way for that to happen. So Joel is speaking about this very thing that's going to take place. The day of the Lord will pour out his spirit. And what he's saying is that today is the day. This is actually the day of what was going on. It says so in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone, who? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't hear anything else today, just hang on that, put that in your pocket and keep it. That's what's important. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what he's talking about. In Romans 1013, it would say the exact same thing. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a reoccurring theme in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. Call on God, he will save. God never turns his back on his people. Isn't that a great, a great thing? As you go through scripture, he always say, repent, repent, repent. What's he saying? 
Call on me, return to me, and I will welcome you in. He always does because he's a good father, a kind father. Yes, there are consequences involved, but he is a God that if you call on his name, he will save every single time. It goes on if, if you start looking at different sections in, in John and uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would uh, call him should not perish but have eternal life, right? So this idea of calling on God um, all the way in 1 John as well, 1.9 would say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see what he's saying? Call on me, call on me, call on me, call on me. If you call on me, you will be saved. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand if you, the first step to being saved is what? Knowing that you need to be saved. You're like, why would I need to be saved if I don't know I need to be saved? He's, it's kind of like AA, right? The first step to, to breaking alcoholism is admitting that you're an alcoholic. You have to admit first that you have a problem. The same thing is true with God. We have to admit that there is a problem. We have to admit that we're separated from him. We have to admit that our lives, the way we lived, has separated us from God. So he's saying, to call out to me means to take a position of humility. That's hard. See, what what he's doing, he's, he's highlighting the broken relationship between God and us. And that there's something severely damaged And if we don't call out on God to be the one to save it, we're going to continually try to do this on our own all the time. He then points to the fact, number two, is that Jesus as Messiah, that there is something uniquely different about Jesus and who he is and what he actually did. So verses 22 through 36 land on that idea, and it connects them to Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And so he's going to point to the fact that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. So in Psalm 16, what's going on is is David is talking about um, not being cast away to Hades, not being cast away to death, that he was going to live forever. So people are like, well, wait a minute, there's a problem here. And Peter points it out. He's like, "Uh, we all know that David died. We all know that he's buried. We can go to where the tomb is. So he's in there. So what is he talking about? What is David talking about if he's saying that Hades isn't going to overcome, it's not going to abound, you're not going to be deserted, you're not going to be abandoned? Well, he's talking about there would be a descendant that would come from the line of David. And that descendant would be the one that death would not conquer, that, that death would not defeat, that he wouldn't be succumbed to the thing that we're all susceptible to, right? We all know that death is a real thing. And so as we see this idea, it says that Jesus was that descendant. And when Jesus was crucified, when he died on the cross, he didn't stay dead. And it's not just, look at me, here's a nice magic trick. That's not what he's doing. He's making statements in that moment. And the statement he's making is this, is I am more powerful than death. I am more powerful than sin. They have no power over me. I rule them. So why is that important? Well, we know that death is a reality that waits for everyone. No one wakes up and goes, well, at least I'm not going to die ever. We all know this is a, a reality of life, that death is coming at some point. And what, what's going on with Peter, what he's saying is this, there will come a point where you're going to stand before the maker. 
And you have two options. You really only have two options. You can put your hope in meeting God's standard in your life and in your works. That is a, a viable option. You can do that. And, and here's the problem, though. We know what God's standard is. The Bible tells us, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? God's standard is perfection. You're like, well, that's not fair. You're right, unless he's perfect. Right? See, that's the thing. He is without sin. He is perfect in every single way. So because he's perfect, he can require that perfection of standard. And so sin gets in the way. And so we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever met someone who's like, I, I've been doing pretty good. I figured it out. Bat in a thousand. No, I've, I've never met a man or woman who would, who would sincerely look at me in the eye and say, I have lived a completely perfect life. I just haven't met that person. Because you know why? I haven't. You ever, you ever lay awake at night and think about the life you've lived? You ever, you ever lie awake at night and you feel the guilt of the things that you've committed? You ever feel the shame of things that were done to you? You ever wish you could go back to the beginning of the day and make a couple of changes to how you responded, how you acted, how you thought, what you spoke? I mean, we've all been kids, so there's probably a pile of things we have problems with, right? See, we've, we've all experienced the fact of falling short of what God would want, and that would be, the, the idea is this. Sin is just basically not doing what God says to do or doing what God says not to do. That's really what it is. You're like, well, that doesn't seem fair, but if he's designed everything, he knows how everything works, what will be a benefit for you and what will be disaster for you. We're saying in that moment, I don't trust you. You're wrong. I'm right. You're a liar. I know better than you. That's what we're saying when we sin, when we don't listen to God. And he's saying, I can't have that in my presence. I have to punish that. And what was happened is that he poured out the wrath of what that was on Jesus. So here's the other option. We can put our life in Jesus' life. And if we place it in Jesus' life, it says that he was perfect and without sin. So does that mean that he meets the standard? Yeah, he meets the standard. And he said, I became a substitute for you. I went in your place, so I took the wrath that you deserve. So God's wrath was still satisfied. There was still a punishment. He didn't just brush it aside. Justice was dealt. Jesus took that place. He then says, my life, you have that life now. You can now go before God. You can have that relationship. So when you stand before God, will your life be in your works and your ability and what you've done? Or will it be in Jesus? And we play this stupid game. Well, I'll just be a really good person. But that doesn't erase the problem of sin, does it? There's still a problem that sin exists that you have to deal with at some point. Well, this is what happens as he's telling these individuals. As he's saying, you were the guys that murdered God. You saw Jesus, you saw his miracles, you saw what he's done, you saw how he saved people, you saw how he preached God's word, you saw how he was compassionate and loving and kind in every single way. You killed God. That's basically what Peter's saying. And it says that there is something that happens. And what he does, he calls them to repentance. Now, there's two responses that we can have when we are presented with the gospel. Anyone who has given their life to Jesus, there's two responses. And maybe you felt them both at some point. Either your heart softens or your heart hardens. 
You cannot be neutral with Jesus. And here's why. He wasn't just a good teacher. He said, I am God. So you got to go, either you are or you're a nut job. Like there's no, you can't be new. Well, he was a good, crazy teacher. You can't do that. You have to do something with the person of Jesus because either he's, he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. Those are the things. I think, I, who said that? Lewis said that? I think Lewis said that. Those are the three options you have with him. So your heart either hardens or it softens, which means you go, no, that's a bunch of garbage. I don't believe it. I think it's made up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to believe it. Or something happens in your heart where you go, man, if I had to look at my life, the things that I've committed and the things that I've done, I don't meet that standard. And if this God is real, if there's something about this, I got to figure out what's going on. That's a softening of the heart. It may not be in that moment that, that there's repentance, but Peter calls them to repentance. We see that there's this, there's this moment with them. And I love this because this is, this is what every pastor, when we preach, is what we want. We don't want it to be about us. We don't want it to be about our message. We want it to be about Jesus and that, that people would respond to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that he is Lord and Savior. And it says so in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This idea of being pierced, that their eyes were open, their ears were open, the scales were removed, the veil was removed, and went, what have we done? We killed God. See, the day that they killed God is the day that God saved his people. And they realize it in that moment. And they're like, what, Peter, what do we do? What, what do we do? You know why? They feel the weight of their sin. They feel the weight of what's gone on in their life. They feel the, the fact that they've missed the boat completely. So Peter says, repent. Well, the word repent means to change their minds. Their minds would have a change of thinking. Their minds would have a change of what's going on. And the change is this, is that they realize that he's not just a guy but that he is God, that he is Lord. It would say in uh, Romans, Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's this moment where the mind has to change. You have to confess. He is Lord. He is God. He is our Savior. Because the idea of Messiah just meant that someone would come and save the people. That's the idea of what it means to have a Messiah, that this Messiah would come and save them. And it wasn't from the Romans. It was from the bigger problem. It was from sin, and it was from death. And that's what's going on. So as they realize that, he says that you would confess, your mind would change, that you would be drawn towards him. And then it says if you would believe in your heart. This idea of heart... Um, I think in the Western culture, we really believe that the mind is the center of man and what makes man work and how man functions. But in the Eastern culture, the heart is the center and everything flows from the heart. So to believe with the heart means we have a new heart, that we think a new way, that we act a different way, that we don't live the same way that we once lived, that there is a change, that we put aside what we used to be and who we used to live and how we used to respond and we become a new person. We believe in our heart that he is Lord and has changed us. We had a heart that was dead and now we have a heart that is alive. And that's what he's saying in this moment when he's talking about this. Then he says, get baptized. 
Now, that's, a, that's if you don't have any background in church, that's a weird, like, what does that mean? Like, you're going to throw them in some water. Like, what's the water do? There's symbolism all throughout the Bible, and, it, and it's good for us to understand what's being done. One, what we're doing is a public declaration of our allegiance to Jesus, that we have placed our life in Jesus' life. So when we stand before God, whose life will we place it in? Jesus' life. So we're saying, like, to everyone, I am not ashamed of Jesus. I believe that he is Lord, and I want you to know that. So there's this public declaration part of what's going on with baptism. But there's this other part that's going on as well. And so the symbolism of baptism is that we are also being married into the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are, we're, we're taking part of that symbolically. And so there's three stages in baptism. One, you're standing in the water, right? So you're standing in the water. That represents your old life. This is who I used to be. This is what I used to do. This is how I rebelled against God. This is the life that caused the problem of sin. This is my rebellion towards God. And you stand there, this old life. And then when you are lowered into the water, it represents being buried and dying. That's why we do full immersion, right? We go under the water because the symbolism is really important. And so as you go under the water, you are saying, I am dying to my old self. I'm rejecting who I once was, knowing that this is what separated me from God. And when you come out of the water, it represents the new life that you have in Christ and that I'm a new creation with a new heart that lives differently. See, we don't live the way we used to because we, 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 were only, we were only able to live one way before. Now, as we have a new heart, as we are with Christ, we have a new way to live. We have a way that we can honor God. We have a way that we can respond to him, that we can submit to him, that we are no longer slaves to sin and what has kept us from God. We don't have that in our lives anymore. And this is what the gospel looks like and that's preached, that these things need to be present when we talk to people about who Jesus is. There are times I hear people start to talk about Jesus and they just taper off and they, they they give this weak version of the gospel that's not even really true. Like, oh, Jesus loves you and he's really good and, you know, you need him. I'm like, oh, like you're missing the point of what he did. The things that need to be present is that Jesus is God, that sin separated us from God, that Jesus came to earth to live the life that we couldn't, that he died in our place, that when he died in our place to take the wrath of God, he also rose again, giving us his righteousness, that we need to hear like we're no longer slaves of those things, that he has a supernatural power over death. And anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Those things need to be a part in some way, shape, or form when you communicate the gospel to somebody. And and what I want is I want to shift gears and I want to talk about what can we learn from Peter's sermon? Like, what can we glean from that? Here's, Here's the first thing. Peter understood his audience. What do I mean by that? He was talking to Jewish men and women. He knew what they believed. He knew what they knew. He knew what they held value towards. When he's speaking about David, they know that the Jewish people understand that David is the king that all kings are held up to. And when he starts talking about Jesus, he's saying that Jesus is a better king than David would ever be. That's going to resonate with them. See, when he starts talking about the the prophet Joel, they're going to go, oh, that makes sense because he's talking about my heritage and my people and things that we've heard and that we know about. See, 
If you don't know your audience, how can you bring the gospel to them? And here's what I mean by that. We have all gone through pains and hurts and brokenness in our life in some way, shape, or form. If you have this canned version of the gospel, you don't even know, if you don't know your audience, how can you bring that message of hope to the areas where they're broken? Whether that's a broken relationship with a family member or something that was done to them when they were a young child or that they were rejected at some point or how their father treated them. Like how you communicate the gospel in that moment actually matters because you're bringing truth and hope to where they are broken and Jesus is here to heal the broken hearts of this world. That's what he does. That's who he is. So you need to know your audience. And my question is, do you know your audience? that you are bringing the message to. You know how you do that? You listen. If we would stop talking a little bit and just listen to people in their lives, people, people will tell you what's broken in their lives. I love to be meeting new people and as they talk about where they're from and their background and who they are, they, they, they hold those things so tight that they can't help but talk about them always. And I love to hear like, oh, man, I'm so sorry that you've gone through this really horrible event. You know, Jesus went through something very similar to that as well. You know that he offers freedom from that pain that you're feeling in that moment. You know that he has forgiven you, so he actually gives you the ability to forgive others that have wronged you so deeply. Like That's powerful when you understand the core of where someone's hurting and broken and you can bring that truth of Jesus to them. It changes them. The other thing that it says is that Peter uses God's word He uses God's word to communicate. He takes from four different sections of scripture to communicate this message. In Joel, three times in Psalm, and even a little bit in 2 Samuel 7, he actually pulls from that as well. He points to prophecies, showing that there is fulfillment, that God made promises that he was going to do and how Jesus met those. So maybe you've noticed I jumped into Romans a bunch, right? The the Romans road is just a way that we can use scripture to share the truth of the gospel. Some people go, well, how do I know you're not making this junk up? Well, let me just read from this book that is older than any of us that actually tells us what this is and who he is. So we said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's important for us to know that everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. You're like, well, well, big deal. For the wages of sin is death. Well, now it's a big deal. Now we have a problem. So the free gift of God is for all that call on his name. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, then we will be saved. For while we were still enemies of God, Jesus died for us. While we were dead in our trespasses. So I'm just, this is all Romans. If you know what the Bible says, you can actually show this is what God's word says, and this is the situation that we're in. And do you realize that this is a love story about a God who loves his people so much that he is desperately pursuing them so you would understand that he loves you so much that he is drawing you back to him because he knows that if left to your own devices, you'll be separated from him for forever. So Jesus did what we couldn't. And he is pursuing you in such a way that you would know truth and that you would have hope in that. Knowing God's word is so important to our faith. It's so important to our testimony. It's so important to the gospel. It's what's rooted in. This whole story is the God, everything. The whole thing is the overarching gospel story. The next thing is he meets them where they are. I love this. I love that... Peter's at a giant festival, and he's like, 
here we go. And he meets them where they are. He, he sees them where they're at. And he just starts talking about Jesus. You know what's funny? He watched Jesus do this for the three years of ministry they were together. That Jesus went out constantly to where people were and he met them where they were at. Whether that was a wedding, whether that was at the temple gates, whether that was the city gates, whether that was a pool where people were trying to be healed, whether that's wherever it may be, you see that Jesus, he just keeps going to people. And Peter sees that and he goes, this is what's happening. When Jesus gives us the game plan to share the gospel, what's he say? That you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to bring, everyone's just going to keep showing up at your building. By the way, there was no building back then. They just met. What I would love for us as a church is that there would be a, this mindset of what would it look like if we just kept going out, going out all the time in our neighborhoods, at our sporting events, at our gyms, at our work, with our friends, at a coffee house, at a restaurant, at a pub. Oh, what, what if that's where we went to go meet people who needed Jesus? And we didn't just go, let's just have them all show up here. That, that happens sometimes, and that's great. I love that. But the real work happens when we go out, when we care for people that we know and love, that we bring them truth because we care about them. Like, that's, that's what he's like. What if we did that? What if we started seeing these groups meeting in homes all throughout the city? Inviting their neighbors and their friends and having barbecues and inviting them in. Getting to meet Christians. Getting to see that we're just like you. We're broken and in need of a savior. We're not better than you. Like, let's all go worship Jesus together and understand what he saved us from. And what I love is that next week... One of my favorite passages in the book of Acts is going to show us what happens when men and women under Jesus start living out this new life. What does it look like? How do they respond? How do they act? And you're going to see that it's crazy because the way that they live, not only are they loving each other well, they're loving those outside of them well, and that's showing more of the generosity of God, and people are drawn to that kind of love, drawn to that kind of generosity, and they were just living out of this new life that they have. It's amazing. The other thing that I love is that he doesn't shy away from the truth. He doesn't, say, he doesn't hold back from the hard things. See, he, he, he shares hard truth in a loving way because, hear me, truth matters. Truth matters. Good intentions while withholding truth hurts people. Let's say that again. Good intentions while withholding truth hurts people. God's truth is meant to convict us and cause us to turn to him. If we never call people to God's truth, how will they know what to turn from and what to turn to? How, how are you going to know that? You're like, well, that might hurt their feelings. I've read God's word and my feelings have been hurt too because it exposes my heart. And I don't like that. No one likes that. But God loves us enough to call us to truth because he knows what will destroy us. And he knows what will hurt us. Because it'll hurt more than the hurt you feel in that moment when you're told God's truth. By the way, there's a way to do this in a loving and kind way. And there's a way to be a total jerk. Don't be a jerk. Can we just 
Can that be like the model for today? Don't be a jerk. Just love people well with truth. Okay, if we can do that, I think, I think we can win here. It, it's so funny because he tells them, you killed Jesus twice. Like, let me call you out twice. You're murderers. He says that David wasn't even close to being like God and that David actually worshiped Jesus. That'll get you in trouble in that day and age. He says that we must call out to God if we want to be saved, that there's something broken that you need to call out to God for healing. He says that Jesus is Lord and the Christ and the Messiah, that'll get you stoned. Not like, you know, but like rocks, right? That's what he's talking about, rocks. Got to clarify for the sake of brevity. And then he says that Jesus raised from the dead, supernatural, all-powerful, and that your sins must be forgiven. And if they aren't forgiven, that there is a consequence. So then he calls them to repent and he calls them to be baptized. There comes a point in every relationship, if you are going to share the gospel, where you have to explain the gospel to them and it's gonna be dicey in that moment because you're like, I'm kind of putting it all out there. Will they realize that I love them or they think that I'm judging them? And we all have felt that moment like, I want you to know, but... uh." But here's the be the last point is what happens is Peter lets God work. He presents the truth and he lets God do the work. Do you understand that's what God's calling us to do? Present the truth and let the Holy Spirit work in the lives of men and women. I can't make anybody in here do anything. There's this misconception that, oh, I'm just going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. Do you have kids? How's that work? That same thing, right? It's, it's ridiculous. I can't make you do anything. All I can do is tell you what God's word says. You know why we keep reading the Bible? Because my opinion doesn't matter. My, my opinion, is, this is what matters. God's word matters. God's truth matters. It's not my truth. It's God's truth. All I'm doing is bringing that forward so it'll do what he's promised it would do, that it would change and convict the hearts of men and women. I get told a lot that I need to preach happier sermons. I've already been told that here. Like, your, your sermons, they're not very happy. I'm like, <laughs> I shouldn't do that. That's not nice. <laughs> and I hear say, I feel bad when I leave your sermons. And I tell, I tell kind of the same thing every time. If you don't know the bad news, how will you ever understand the good news? If you don't know how much sin you have piled up in your life, how much will you know, how much will you see, how much you've been forgiven? And that feeling that you feel when you feel bad or you don't feel good about yourself in that moment is the active and presence work, present work of the Holy Spirit in your life because he loves you so much that he is realizing there is something in your life that is detrimental to your health. And he wants to remove that and take that from you because he cares so deeply about you. That's how loving he is. That's how kind he is. We do this with kids and we think it's fine, but when God does it, we don't like it. Why? Because we never want to be on the receiving end. We want to be on the giving end of it. And he's saying, I love you so much. I care about you so much that I want you to be convicted. What I love is that as they were cut to the core, they were cut to the heart, Instead of having God's wrath poured out on them, God pours out his grace on them. 
And then he poured out his wrath on Jesus for us. That's amazing. And because Peter was faithful, empowered by the Holy Spirit, God convicted and saved 3,000 men and women who came to faith that day. That's amazing. Now here's the question you got to ask. What happened to Peter? <laughs> Remember Peter, the coward? Remember the coward who was at a fire and some, you know, 12-year-old girl calls him out. He's like, I don't know who Jesus is. And he like runs away like a scared little, I don't know, whatever scared. He's just, he runs away. He's like, I can't do it. It's too much. He's, a, he's afraid. He's a coward. He doesn't have a backbone at all. He said, oh, Jesus, I'll, I'll die for you. No, you won't. You're going to deny me three times. What happened to Peter that he is now saying that 3,000 were saved, which means there was more there? We're talking probably four, five, 6,000 people were there. What causes a man to stand up knowing that his message could have him killed? What changed in his life? What transformed Peter? The gospel transformed Peter. He saw who Jesus really was. He understood how his sins were forgiven. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit caused him to be bold and courageous. You have that Holy Spirit in you if you are saved. If you are a believer of Jesus, you have the same Holy Spirit. As I was praying last night, I was just kind of in this moment of like, God, what are you, what are you, what are you showing us like why are you calling us to go be on mission? Why are you calling us to go share the gospel? Can't you just do it all yourself? And he could have, yeah, he totally could have. But here's what's happening. As we die to our old self and we put on the new self that we have in Jesus, he is turning us into Jesus. Jesus had the heart of God, which is to go and find those that were lost, that he loved, that he cared for. Jesus went out and he found those that were lost and dying and in need to be saved. And as Jesus has transformed our hearts, we now get to be like Jesus and do the very thing that he was doing. He is turning us into his son every day. We call that progressive sanctification. Big fancy word that means he's, we're becoming more like Jesus. And some days are better than others. Some days are hard. Some days we get a glimmer of it, but he is transforming us into his image. We're being sanctified, and as the Spirit resides in you, he's creating a closeness, an intimacy with God that you could never imagine. Like, the God of the universe, with all the power you could imagine and more, resides in you now. If you're a believer. Yet, we are terrified at times to share with somebody else. Well, they're gonna judge me. They're gonna think weird about me. They're, they may not be my friend anymore. I, I can't deal with that kind of rejection. I can't deal. By the way, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. Just hear that. And there's something that I've, I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it here yet. When you think about facing someone that you love and care about and, and sharing the gospel with them at some point when they are ready to receive that, by the way. That's really important as well. Picture Mount Sinai. Picture when God visited the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Huge mountain. 
engulfed in fire and smoke and thunder and lightning, and God is speaking audibly to the people there. Audibly. We know this because they, were fall, they fell on their face and they said, stop talking, we can't handle it. Like, just God's voice was so much that the people of Israel like, whatever you say, whatever you say, just stop talking. I can't take it. That is the God of the universe that you worship. That is the God of the universe who resides in you, that gives you the power to do that. Now, picture the person that you want to share Jesus with standing next to that mountain. Who are you afraid of? Like, let's just put it in perspective, right? God has uniquely placed you in a time and a place in history to love people with the message of Jesus because he loves you and wants you to be about his mission. Could you imagine what would happen if we went out and preached like this without fear about Jesus to Orange County? What could happen? Could you imagine what our neighborhoods would look like? Could you imagine what our school... People always complain about the schools and the system. Oh, we gotta go do all this stuff. Tell them about Jesus. Could you just do that? Like, let God transform their heart. Quit trying to legislate people to do what's right and what's wrong. Let Jesus transform them. I mean, how many more people are in our neighborhoods that are a part of the harvest that God has saved, that he's calling us to go out and to take the message to? And I would say this. I've done this before, and it's, it's, it's hard, but it's good. Think about the name of someone that you love, that you care about. And realize if they don't know Jesus, like, they need to hear about Jesus. What if you were to start praying? This is my challenge today, that you would pray for them every day. You would pray for God to open their eyes and their heart, that they would be ready to receive the message of Jesus, they would hear the message of Jesus. That God would prepare your heart, that God would break your heart for those that are lost, that don't know him, that there are people that are dead and that God is calling to be alive and he is brought you to be a part of that process? Do you have a name in your head of someone that you know, someone that you're thinking about? I remember I did it for 23 years. I prayed for my dad for 23 years. I was there the day he came to Jesus. It was amazing. I never thought it would happen. God was working on his heart. And when the time came, the time came. Who are you praying for? I challenge you. Take a name. Every day pray for him. Because here's what I want to see. You know, what would it look like next year if we all prayed for someone every day and what this room would look like by next year as he worked in the hearts of men and women, saving them and bringing them back to him? Let's pray. Jesus, <clears throat> I thank you for loving us. I thank you for the salvation you offered us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. Lord, as I think about, it's just, there's two groups of people here. There are those that need the, the gospel again today who have been saved for 20, 30, 40 years. And there's areas in their life where they just need to let go and trust you and believe you. And there are those that are here for the first time today, Lord, that, that don't know you at all, that have never gotten to meet you. And I ask that today would be that day. Lord, it is such a simple thing that you've created because we can't handle hard things that if we would call on your name, that we would be saved. Lord, I don't know what you're doing in the hearts of men and women here today, but if you are doing something, Lord, I ask you would stir in them right now a desire to know you. I ask that you would stir in us that do know you, Lord, to take that message forward. 
that we believe this, if we believe this is to change how we live, that we were cut to the core at some point, and we've all felt that reality of what it costs for us to be saved, I ask that you would continue to do that in our lives and the lives of those we love and those that we know in the areas that we're in. I ask that in your glorious and amazing name, amen.